they just kind of explode into fairy dust and it's like <laughs> oh have i just sieved a fairy like <laughs> welcome to talking simulator a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them i'm jordan erica weber and in this episode i discuss the crafting adventure game witchwood with my guest Zoe Delahunty Light. I'm Zoe Delahunty Light, otherwise known as Zoe Dells. I'm a video producer at the Eurogamer YouTube channel, as well as being a Twitch streamer and general lore fiend. So, all of the above is pretty much how you can describe me. Zoe asked if she could come on the podcast to tell me about this recent game from indie developer Alien Trap that she had absolutely devoured about a crotchety old witch with a job to do, a job that involves lots and lots of collecting and crafting. We talk about the pros and cons of repetition in games, the contrast between the idyllic pastoral visual style of the game and the story it tells, and why Zoe found its villains particularly refreshing. In doing so, we discuss some of the characters you encounter in the game, but don't spoil any significant plot points or solutions. So you asked me if you could talk about Witchwood, because clearly it's a game that you really, really love. Yes. I want to know, though, when you first found out about it and what it was about it that appealed to you. So... That's a great question. I think I got an email about it and being someone who literally has like a box of bones next to her at the moment (laughs) and a sword (laughs) and like loads of kind of odd things, having it described as Witchwood kind of immediately attracted me because I love the fact that witches are kind of going through a resurgence at the moment and I was really interested to find out more about it because it also spells witch with a Y rather than an I, which is kind of an immediate indicator that it's a little bit different to me. Mm. So I watched the trailer and yeah, it just seemed like exactly the kind of game I was looking for. Like it was very focused on the actual kind of witchcraft process itself rather than being like you know a a lifestyle simulator or like a combat game and um to be honest the art alone got me interested because it's so beautiful yeah i definitely want to talk about the art before we get to that though so if you don't mind me asking are you someone who is into witchcraft are you someone who would call yourself a witch or are you just kind of academically interested the way i always describe it is i'm really interested in it and i want to do it but i don't necessarily believe in it Mm. But I do believe that like kind of tarot and uh, rituals and stuff can be a really good method for self-reflection, regardless of whether you believe there are other powers acting on it. But as someone who is autistic, like having rituals and like a specific order and routine to do things really grounds me. And witchcraft is very much about like, you know, certain herbs and candles and elements that you need to incorporate into spells for, you know, want of a better word. And, and that I really enjoy that process of like creating and crafting. So while I wouldn't describe myself as a witch because I don't practice it, I've got a lot of witchcraft books that I read quite heavily just because I find <laughs> it so interesting and fascinating. So this game was perfectly pitched for you then? Completely, yeah. Being like, especially because it's just a crafting thing, it's just putting all the things together and then not having a result. But um, an ancestor of mine used to like, (laughs) she used to conduct seances and say she had a spirit guide. So part of me is like, I feel like I'm connecting with her when I look at this stuff because, you know, I feel like she'd approve. Oh, amazing. Mm. So outside of you finding this personally very compelling then, you clearly also want more people to play it. I mean, you said when you messaged me that you urged me to play it if I had the time. Yes. So when you're telling people about it, you know, describing this game, how do you describe it? What's your elevator pitch? So crafting simulator with like no combat and it has an unexpected portrayal of certain like villains, quote unquote, in it that I found really refreshing. Like it's mm. not a simple kind of like 
you need to take the soul of this bad person and they're bad so that's that like it really does do quite a lot of social critique which i really enjoy as well and it's just really kind of relaxing like it's it's very predictable in terms that you know what you're going to be doing next but it explores so many kind of like i don't want to call them sins but like you know ills of our age that it just makes it really interesting to play and to see it through that kind of like witchcraft lens but mainly i just say it's really relaxing and zen so if you just want to spend like you know a sunday afternoon you know doing very little and just enjoying crafting some things then it's the game for you what leads you to stress the fact that there's no combat in it what motivates that i tend to get quite stressed by combat especially when learning it for the first time because it just stresses me out not doing stuff well so you do have confrontation in it via the crafting that you're doing, but the lack of like damage being done to you is something that I personally find very liberating. It's just that like basically you can't fuck up. Like you, mm. you're just going to craft a thing and it might not work and you might, you know, get knocked out by something hitting you and that's it. But I think it's just the way the witch solves problems isn't by hurting other people per se with like weapons. She comes up with solutions using the components she has at her disposal. So it's much less like I am going to hurt this thing. Like the way you get the souls of the, um, the villains in it is that you have to effectively like help people and help them get rid of them. Like it's not like I need to go kill him. It's like I need to find a way to resolve this thing that they've created. But yeah, the, the, the inclusion of combat just like, not that it turns me off of a game, but it's just kind of like I can ha- happily take an indie game with no combat. Like because AAAs often feature combat so heavily, it's quite nice just to have a break from it. So what's the premise for what you're doing in the game then? What's the motivation for the character? So you wake up and you're greeted by a goat that's possessed by an abyssal spirit. (laughs) Yep, it's great. It emerges that there's a sleeping maiden in a ruin, like literally right next to your home. And you brought her to the goat, begging him to save her life. And he said, okay, fine, I'll make a deal with you. But you have to get me 12 souls in return to save her life. So you then set off and you have to collect 12 souls that each named like the goat, the wolf, the stag, etc. And you have to, you know, not fight them, but you have to come up with solutions to the problems they're presenting to get their souls to then hopefully free the maiden. And just to be clear, what are you doing kind of moment to moment in the game? A hell of a lot of crafting. It's (laughs) crafting all over the place. You obviously pick up items throughout the game, uh, like wood, mushrooms, flowers, etc. And then you combine them in your inventory. And often that will create like a spell, like for instance, a, um, a soporific potion, which puts things to sleep. But oftentimes when you get later in the game, whereas you would have like created a poppet or a doll to scare away some goblins that is now a component in much more advanced spells Mm. so it's kind of got this like ever unlocking like branching system of like well i need to craft this poppet which means i need to craft three other things which means i then need to craft this thing like it's just it kind of all tumbles and snowballs which is challenging later on which is great so we'll talk a bit more about the crafting and the kind of collection in a moment. But first, I just wanted to touch on what I think is one of the most immediately interesting aspects of the game and probably the reason a lot of people would be drawn to it. So it's it's visual style. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a podcast. So could you try and describe what the game looks like and why it's so appealing and, and how that supports the game? Yeah, so I describe it as almost like, it almost looks like paper craft to me. Like it's two dimensional, but obviously the way your character moves around in three dimensional space. But it's very 
it's like painted. It's so beautiful. Like you have realistic portrayals of things like bears and like birds and stuff. But then when it gets into representing stuff like pebbles um, or petals, like it becomes really abstract. And it's just mm. like a beautiful combination of like, when you look at the art, you don't necessarily get a completely accurate portrayal of say a wolf but the sensations that art gives you and I know that's really pretentious saying that but like <laughs> the like colors and the like exaggerated proportions and stuff you kind of understand what that character is without needing to really talk to them and it seems goes for the surroundings like it's almost like a storybook from when you were a child like it's painted like there's obvious like sketch marks and stuff it's a real burst of color and what's great is that in each location um, it has its own color palette so it just feels like when you first enter a new domain, like you really do just want to walk around and look at everything because it's so beautifully, like the palettes are beautiful. They like combine with each other in such a harmonious way that it just, it's really lovely to walk around. It's just, it's so beautiful. I love the style of Witchwood. It strikes me that initially it's very, you know, you start as you're in this kind of hut in the forest. It's very beautiful. There's all these plants everywhere and birds and things. It's very pastoral. And then one of the early things that you have to do is set a trap to catch a bird and the bird flies into it and it just snaps and it explodes into chunks of meat. Yeah. And that kind of shocked me. Did that stand out to you when you first saw it or were you expecting that? Oh, massively. When that happened, I yelped out loud because like, because <laughs> the depiction of the game, you're completely right, is so idyllic and pastoral. You don't expect there to be small animals getting cut up by traps. <laughs> but like when it happened, I think it's a great introduction to the game itself to be like, well, it looks pretty, but we're actually going to be dealing with some stuff that, you know, you might not expect. So here's some gore as like, you know, a heads up. But yeah, you can also like the fact that when you go around and collect, say, fairy dust, you go and like swipe your net at fairies that are flying around and they just kind of explode into fairy dust. And it's like, <laughs> oh, have I just sieved a fairy? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, I love the way that it just the way you get items are sometimes quite worrying in a sense. You mentioned that there are these different domains with different colour schemes and things. What's your favourite area in the game and why? Oh, it's got to be there's the fields, uh, which are like all shades of gold and kind of yellow and orange, just because another game that I absolutely adore, uh, Fable, has uh, oak fields and oak vale and I want to live there. If I die, I hope that's the afterlife, like whatever religion you subscribe to. But it just reminded me of those places in Fable. And I just, I'm really like attracted to that kind of idyllic pastoral wheat fields, cottages, like, you know, element. And they also have these amazing creatures called um, pumpkin jacks, I think is what they're called, but they're like pumpkins. And when they lift up the top of the pumpkin, they're like walking around and you see there's a skeleton inside and it's like, it's really cool. So yeah, definitely the fields domain. So how about the characterization of the playable character then? Tell me a bit more about who you're playing as. So you're playing as the witch. Uh, you don't have a name because you don't really need one, which I thought was really cool. But what I love most about her is that she's not recognisably human. Mm. So she has claws, she has a helmet, she has a big feathery cloak, and she kind of walks around on little like bird feet is what I kind of see them as. But she is, you know, trying to save this maiden. And the interactions she has with other characters are really interesting because she doesn't take any shit. She just like <laughs> gets to the point and like doesn't deal with people trying to flatter her or whatever. So like it was 
really lovely to play her and to just play someone who just like they know what they want to do and that's it like just straight up they're going to go save this maiden they need to go with the ingredients etc 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 but yeah so that's the character you're playing and at some point um you meet an old lady who calls you sister because it emerges that she used to be a witch as well and like i know it's a really small thing but that idea of like sisterhood among witches in this world was something that i personally found really appealing so yeah the witch is like a, a mix of kind of soft inside but hard outside which i love in the way that she talks she comes across as very kind of like a grandma right she even calls yeah. herself old granny but i mean a a testy grandma who gets yeah. quite cross with people given we rarely get to play as an older woman in games how did you find playing as one in this I loved it. I think mm. like when you first see the sleeping mage and she's very young and beautiful and, you know, she's obviously like a, a flush with the waters of youth. But then the witch is kind of like, I find this freedom in playing a character who is like, you know, in certain people's eyes, ugly. Like she, mm. she's not, she's not depicted in a way to appease your eyes like she is just she's got a helmet she's got a sick cloak she's got <laughs> claw feet and she's got something she wants to do and there's just an inherent like liberation and freedom in her depiction in that she doesn't care what other people think she mm. just she she dresses and acts in a way that's comfortable for her and in terms of her age like it's refreshing seeing elder women not portrayed as like crones or like spinsters like she's dumpy she's short and she just like runs around on a little claw feet and goes and does things like it's it's really refreshing to play a character who openly like say sh says she's old and she has no shame about that and also she goes against type especially when it comes to fairy tales you know like mm. you have the crone motif and stuff and it's really intriguing to see her depiction as like anti-crone you know she's old <laughs> and she just she can happily like run around in different domains and do stuff and cook up things Let's talk about some of the other characters then, because I thought it was interesting what you said earlier about the unexpectedly refreshing portrayal of the villains. Now, I haven't played much of the game so far, but one of the first ones I've come across is is the snake. And it felt to me like kind of on the nose symbolism, you know, the sneaky mm -hmm. snake oil salesperson type character is, is a literal talking snake. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite examples of the of the villains or the other characters or ones that you thought didn't work? Or could you tell me a bit more about why you think the villains are so interesting? Yeah, so I think, interestingly, the snake and I'd say the ram as well are two of the ones that I feel are weaker mm. just because they're just very two-dimensional. Like, you know that they're evil because they're trying to do things that you know are not cool but then later on first off all the villains are evil like there's no kind of grey moral area about them that's not what I'm talking about but mm. the way that they deal with kind of like issues that we have nowadays so the hawk for example is a landlord and they're mm. a dick they're just horrible they're trying to raise <laughs> rent and stuff but I feel like for our times that's a very prescient issue to want to include in the game like they are trying to drive people out of homes for no real reason other than they just want more money and they've lived there for years and you know and other things like the wolf for example is is literally a predator of women and the way he talks about women is like he wants to eat them but of course then there's the sexual kind of undertones of that too and it's just like the wolf isn't just scary because he's aggressive he's scary because he's preying on women and he wants to consume them because of mm. you know the attraction he has to them though i wouldn't call it attraction you know it's hunger but i just think like that kind of depiction of villains is almost more interesting than them having great areas because while playing it i don't know about you but me myself like having the wolf be a predator towards women was something that i've experienced in the past with real people so it was really refreshing to see it depicted in a game where like 
you have this real problem that a lot of people have made into this, you know, fairy tale-ish kind of villain. And in the past, like, that's what fairy tales were. They were real issues that people faced, kind of, you know, made fantastical. So it was just really refreshing and kind of, yeah, prescient to see that the developers have obviously taken problems we have today in the modern times and transferred them into this fairy tale kind of depiction of, you know, monsters and, and such. I will just mention one more character, which I really enjoyed. I didn't enjoy them because they're villains, but <laughs> called the Hog who exploits workers. And uh, literally, like, they collect people who are kind of on zero hours contracts um, and like who who uh, are the most vulnerable in society and make them work for them. And I think because of like Amazon and Jeff Bezos, like that really kind of resonated with issues that we're seeing today. So it's just, although the first couple of villains, like the bear as well and the ox are kind of simplistic, when you get later on, the quests get kind of much more involved with the final three souls. And I think their characters match that, that they're kind of, you know, they're, they're more in depth and you understand more of the satire going on there. Now, obviously, before players get to that point, however, they have to collect a lot of objects and craft a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And I saw that some reviews have pointed out the kind of repetitious nature of the task of collecting mm -hmm. materials, describing it as busy work, the likes of which is often used as padding in larger games. Do you find that to be a fair comparison? I think considering the game is a crafting game, to describe it as busy work is kind of missing the point mm. because the point of the game is to craft and to create things and to then craft other things based on those things that you've created. I think calling it busy work implies that there are other things that you should be doing when there isn't. Like, it's a crafting <laughs> game. You're going to craft. I think that kind of speaks to people maybe expecting more gameplay elements in the game, which they're not necessarily wrong for thinking, but I think there is something to be said for just appreciating a game that dedicates itself to one core game mechanic which is crafting and i personally even though like i'm not gonna lie there were times when i was like oh for fuck's sake i've got to go collect like you know five more branches because i've run out <laughs> it's not a game that you need to complete in one sitting so i found that once i pull it down and left it i was then perfectly ready like you know the next day to come back and spend like you know 10 minutes ambling around trying to collect things and the addition of certain game items like hearth seeds which take you back to the main kind of like domain selector do make it quicker and easier to get you know back and forth um, mm. which i only use later in the game but i can understand why the habit of collecting things and crafting would get irritating for some people but as someone who goes around the games picking up literally everything and the fact there's no max you know capacity really in witchwood or at least i didn't reach it and i pick up so many things i found it mainly fine but i can see where some people are coming from but i think just you know it's not something you should go and expecting for there to be like 500 different game mechanics. It does one, it does crafting, and it does it well. I was going to ask you, actually, because I noticed when playing that when you re-enter an area, all of the collectible things have respawned. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of spot them in the environment because they sparkle, right, kind of tempting you to pick them up. Did you feel compelled to collect everything on the screen every time or were you able to pass things by? I had to, like, stop myself from doing that because mm. I'd get distracted. I was like, OK, I need to go collect Bug Ica or Ica, I don't know how you say it, but you know, you see like glittering mushrooms and branches like on the way and I'd oh, I'd like stop and just collect like everything. And then I'd be like, well, this has taken me 10 minutes. It should have taken me five. So I had to really restrain myself. But I just, I think, and this is such a small thing, but the kind of sound it makes when you pick things up and the little mm. like darting out of the claw from under the cloak. And you don't usually see her like arm claws kind of 
like gave me that instant serotonin feedback that I really enjoyed picking things up. So I kept wanting to do it. So like, yeah, I, I definitely got definitely got distracted. But like one other thing I really wanted to mention about the crafting was that I know this sounds really obvious, but like it all makes sense. So like, for example, when you craft a key to my heart later on in the game, you have to craft a skeleton key and a love potion. And I just love the developers put in so much thought into the bigger things you have to craft and like not necessarily the hardest items to get, but like if you wanted to craft a poppet, like a, a, a kind of animate doll, what would you actually need for it? Like a sewing kit, a love potion? Like it's just, it makes it kind of more worthwhile for me when I look at what the kind of more advanced items in the game required for crafting. And I was like, oh yeah, well, witchcraft, that makes sense that you'd need like these three things. They naturally go together. But yeah, I, I picked up a lot of things and had to restrain myself. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, the grimoire contains kind of a set number of slots awaiting the spells and, and reagents to, to fill it. Do you find yourself motivated by this kind of gotta catch em all design? Yeah, but also saddened because like when I saw the last spell slot filled, I was kind of like, oh, you know, you know, that means that like the end of the game is coming because mm-hmm. I filled the very last one. But it wasn't so much as like, oh, I've got to collect all of them. Like I need to unlock all of them. It's more like genuine intrigue and excitement to find out what the next spell would be. Because like often the way that the spells work is that they build a knowledge you already have about stuff you need. And they kind of use these components in a different way, like turning a crystal to see a new color in the light. And it's just, it was really interesting and rewarding to just find different ways the things you already know how to craft can be used like i found it almost like mindfulness being like oh this thing that is good for scaring away goblins is also going to be great for tricking this person like it was and in that way i think there's a depth to the crafting system that some reviewers might not have really picked up upon like they really have thought about how the crafting components work together and in tangent with each other it's not just like you craft one thing and you never craft it again like you're always kind of ameliorating and combining and yeah doing such to the crafting components to make these big like you know show-stopping spells the visual style of this game is very kind of maximalist, like they're full environments, very colourful, lots of features in them. With the focus on collecting things from the environment, this game sometimes felt to me like a hidden object style game. Have you ever played those? Yeah, no, I used to play hidden object games on my iPad. I really enjoyed them. But yeah, it's um, I think the sparkles to each object helps you find them. But what I enjoyed about the environments was like when I walked into them, finding where like stones were hidden for example like the cobblestones and the village hide stones and then later on when like you're trying to find ashes that have embers in them that means they're in fires they're in a burning building like it does definitely take you a little while to get used to each environment and where you can Mm. find resources in that but i think the hidden object element just like the way that you said earlier you are tempted by those sparkles to like go and just pick up one more thing and go and find one more thing and like it just means that even though it can be a bit difficult to find items sometimes just because you might not see them again like you mentioned earlier items respawn every time you leave a domain so it's quite easy just to like you know cheese the game and like just respawn back and forth back and forth back and forth (laughs) to get access to like a branch that's right by your teleport thing so you don't have to go walking around for ages now that you say that about respawning and going back and forth, back and forth, I, I can see why some critics did think that the game was a little bit kind of grindy, mm. which is a thing that people often talk disparagingly about, right? Like the idea of doing the same thing over and over in a game, I guess people see it as a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I think it really depends on the game. In a AAA game, yeah, if I had to go collect like, I don't know, Horizon, I'd have to collect 50 Ridgewood for the same person, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, why does it need to be 50? This is so stupid. <laughs> but in um, 
in which would, again, like I said earlier, as, as it's a crafting game, I really feel like the point is to go out and collect things like, hey, no one said being a witch was easy. Like, you got to <laughs> find all these things for a reason. Like, it's, there's a reason why not everyone is a witch is because you got to find all the things. And that might be me making excuses for the game because I really like it. But I think, though I'm not, you know, implying that it's, it was the intention of the developers to make players reflect on how long it takes to craft certain things or the intricate nature. I do think there, for me personally, there was an elephant of mindfulness in it, of like, less like ticking things off a list and more like, what's the most efficient way I can do this? So I know I need to craft X, Y, Z. I'm going to go to the fields and I'm going to get these items and I'm done in the fields and I can save a bit of time teleporting. Like it was just kind of like, the way I viewed it was, although it could kind of feel like busy work sometimes, like especially with clay pots and water, I found very irritating because mm. I found water quite hard to find. With other things like branches and stuff, I just got into the habit of picking up literally everything and then I always had stuff I needed pretty much. But I think what could have helped the game out was having more sources of like the more difficult things to find, like dog fur, water, milk, like more regular placement of them. So you didn't have to be like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've got to go to that field to get to that cow again, you know, <laughs> to just get some milk. But yeah, I think describing it as busy work is kind of maybe implying that the people who played it might have gone through it a bit too quickly. And I know mm. that's an issue with the games industry anyway. And it's something that we all have to kind of deal with with embargoes and stuff. But I think which would kind of lends itself to the more slower ambling type of gameplay where you pick up for an hour, put it down, go pick up for an hour another day later or something. You mentioned the sound design when you pick objects up. How did you find the music in the game and how did you feel that it, it helped it to achieve what it was trying to do? I really liked the music in it. It kind of reminded me Cozy Grove, which is another indie kind of crafting hidden object game. Um, it just felt quite non-invasive. Like it just was the perfect vehicle just for kind of, you know, walking around the same places over and over again. It wasn't so intrusive that you got annoyed with it, but it was kind of distinctive enough that even just hearing the music, you knew what kind of domain you were in and it gave the impression of being in, say, the fields, you know, or the swamp or something. But yeah, I think it, it must be very hard to craft a soundtrack that isn't like forever playing at your ears and like making you realise you're listening to music. It was just the lack of voice acting as well in it. I, I really enjoyed because it was just like, as someone who reads really fast, I could just skip through dialogue and just read it really quickly and didn't have to wait for like, <laughs> you know, voices to finish talking. Now, was there anything that you didn't like about the game? I didn't like all the water I had to find. And like <laughs> the fact that if you wanted to craft like a pot of water, a pot of milk, you had to then craft clay and then craft a pot and then like craft, you know, fill it with water and different. That was really fucking irritating. <laughs> I just wish that there was like a shortcut for that. I won't give any spoilers, but I was a bit disappointed by the ending. I feel like it, like there could have been one final thing at the end like one last thing to do, which would have been given you a little bit more, you know, agency at the at the finish and kind of finished it, tied it with a bow a little bit. But I do think at the beginning, they could have given more attention to kind of the characters that lead you to like the bear and the ox and the, um, uh, the third one escapes me, the snake, I think. A bit more attention to the side characters who kind of like, you know, let you go there. And I thought it was weird that once you met one character... Not that I'm expecting them to have like changing dialogue all the time, but I thought it was a bit, made the world feel a bit empty that they didn't then have follow up dialogue with you. Mm. Like, you know, a, one, one last thing they could say for the rest of the game, you know. So there was, for example, a bird watcher. And I can't remember what, what she was used for, or, like what she led you towards or something. Maybe she told you about the birds and the bird traps, but like it just felt kind of, 
a loss that once you had spoken to her once, that was completely it. Like you didn't get to incorporate her later on in the game or like even her saying, oh, I saw you smashed up a bird with a trap. What the hell, dude? Why did you do that? <laughs> you know, like something like that. But I mean, that all comes out under the kind of disclaimer of it's an indie game. You know, they, mm. they can't give it the attention that, you know, massive funding can give it. But yeah, those are the areas I feel could have used some improvement. When you reached out to me about coming on the podcast, you urged me to play this game. You called it fantastic. In hope of urging other people to play it, is there anything else that you want to mention just to encourage people to give it a try? It doesn't do the stuff that you typically expect. And it is a portrayal of witchcraft that I think is very against type for the current, you know, idea you might have of witchcraft. So if you want to get in more into the kind of like the less the magic side and more of the crafting little like poppets and totems and objects and rituals, then it is 100% the game for you. And if you're even slightly interested in witchcraft, play it because it's very liberating to do so. (laughs) If Witchwood sounds like the kind of game for you, you can grab a copy for PC, Switch, PlayStation or Xbox. You can also watch the video from when Zoe live streamed the first hour or so of the game on the Eurogamer YouTube channel, which I'll link in the show notes. To keep up with Zoe online, follow her on Twitter at Z-O-E underscore D-E-L-S. You can follow the podcast at Talking Sim Pod, and I'm at Jerrica Weber. I also recently streamed the beginning of Witchwood over at twitch.tv slash Jerrica Weber, so give me a follow there to check that out. This season of Talking Simulator has two episodes left to go, but if you have any suggestions for guests for the next season, you can email us at talkingsimulatorpod at gmail.com. And if you're one of the many people who says lovely things about the show to me, why not also say them to the internet via a review on Apple Podcasts? Our music is by Jazz Mickle. You can find her at J-A-Z-Z-M-I-C-K-L-E. Talking Simulator is mixed by Lemmington's loveliest audio person, Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at Dan C P A R K E S. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Talk again soon. Have you got Law Fiend on your Twitter bio? Uh, I have. Am I allowed to swear on this? Because it's technically a bit of a cuss word. But uh, You can swear. Go for it. I call myself a law whore. So <laughs> I've got Law Queen in my bio, but I'm going to change it to Law Whore very soon because it just uh. it does me all over.